Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. If you are a return listener, I'd be grateful for your rating or review. And if you dig this episode, give us a like or share. And now, whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. Episode 72, we are going across the pond to the UK with my guest who is a sports psychologist who works alongside individuals, teams, coaches, and organizations globally. He is known for his passion to demystify sports psychology and for creating simple-to-use performance techniques. He's the author of four best-selling sports psychology books and is the founder of both the Dan Abrams Soccer Academy and the Sports Psych Show podcast. We'll have it linked up. Go check his podcast out as well. Former professional golfer and PJ qualified himself. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Mr. Dan Abrahams. How are you doing? I'm really well, Tyler. How are you? I am excellent. Uh, excited to have you join us from across the Atlantic. Uh, Want to dive into uh, some of your work. Uh, I know, love to hear, I know you were a professional golfer earlier on and can maybe talk about some of your golf career and then kind of what led you into uh, kind of the sports psychology and coaching. Um, well, it depends how much you want to depress your audience in terms of my golf, my golf career, my, my failed golf career, very much why I'm a sports psychologist now. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm half joking, but there is an element of truth to, I just, I just really wasn't good enough as a golfer and largely because of what was going on between my ears. But basically in a nutshell, I announced to my parents when I was 18 years old, that I was going to be the best golfer in the world. And, um, I, uh, didn't, <laughs> didn't quite achieve that by some distance um, I practiced hard but I just wasn't good enough and I played on the mini tours uh, here in Europe here, around Great Britain around the United Kingdom uh, a little bit in Europe um, and, I, and I just really wasn't good enough but I always had a, a real interest a real fascination in the mental side of the game and the mental side of sports in general and that led me on a journey once I'd, I'd finished playing I, I qualified as a PGA uh, golf coach um, here in England and and as I was coaching the game, I suppose uh, my my passion for coaching further um, engaged my interest in in psychology and sports psychology and the psychology of human functioning. And so, I um, went to university, did a degree in psychology and a master's degree in sports psychology as I was coaching golf. And I came to a, a crossroads um, in terms of what do I do now? Do I do, be a golf coach with the sports psych on the side, or do I become a full-time registered sports psychologist? And it very much the latter proved to be uh, the the um, sort of irresistible pathway for me uh, purely because I wanted to work in other sports. I wanted to work in other domains. Intellectually, it's what fascinated me. Uh, and so for the past 15, 16 years, I, I've been a full-time registered uh, sports psychologist here in the UK, but working very much globally. And so, yeah, that brings us up to speed. Yeah. Love it. Um, what is it, you, know, you talked about, you know, wanting to work in different domains and sports mm. like that. Mm. What is it that uh, inspires you to do the work with, with athletes? 
Um, I suppose a, a couple of things. I mean, I'm just really interested in it and, and passionate about the brain and the nervous system and how human beings function on a biopsychosocial level. So, you know, when we think about human functioning, the, the uh, biology, the psychology and the social um, that drives us in the interaction between the three. So I think first and foremost, I'm not going to lie, I think it's a it's a fascination and interest in that. I think that's also linked to growing up um, in a competitive environment, in a, in a challenging environment. You know, I, I think I, I look back, whether it's golf, whether it's school, uh, and just, you know, probably underachieved at school. Um, and um, whether I underachieved at golf, I don't know. I didn't achieve much, but I... Um, I think there's an interest to learn why, why I felt as I did, etc., etc. And then, of course, there is the altruistic side of, you know, I, I enjoy helping people. I, I enjoy um, uh, learning about high performance and helping people people get there um, and discovering how good they can be and also, um, you know, sort of, utilizing what I learn in a in a practical setting and seeing uh, how much that helps people so um, I think those three things co collide and collapse in together and 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 that's what uh, that's sort of where my motivation lies in the the, the collision of the three of those yeah. one of the uh, expressions we kind of see from the collision of those three that I, I've read some of your stuff on that I, I think is great is body language um, how that ex comes out um, can you talk a little bit about how the way we carry our body language impacts our performance and some of our um, psychology of how we're going to take approach things? Yeah. Yeah. So I think with body language, uh, it's look, I mean, it sounds quite basic, doesn't it? Keep great body language. Um, yeah. I think almost a better term is embodiment. Um, I think the, as much as our psychology, what the evidence is presenting itself uh, and, and saying is as much as our psychology, our psychology impacts um, our, our body, so our body impacts our psychology, our brain and our nervous system. There's that two-way interaction and understanding is actually uh, the interaction between behavior uh, uh, towards um, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, um, our motivations, that our internal states is actually stronger in that direction. So, um, and that's why, as a, as a psychologist, many psychologists will use uh, some some form of behavioural therapy uh, to influence internal states. I mean, that's a very powerful thing to change behaviour, to change feelings. We change our behaviours, and, and I think that's really, really true in terms of of, of sport. Um, I'm I'm big on um, asking uh, clients to explore. Um, embodying and enacting action-based words. So if we think about action-based words being things like sharp, alert, alive, lively, relentless, upbeat, even cool and calm and relaxed. So this sort of the, the, the opposite uh, of those uh, very upbeat actions. Um, I, I um, want players, participants, competitors to experiment with embodying and enacting 
um, those action-based words, to be them, to do them, to act them. And for me, when they be, do and act those action-based words, I find that often uh, propels their mental skills, the mental skills of concentration and confidence and commitment and control. Uh, to be in charge of oneself, to be in charge of your body, helps you to be in charge of your internal states and when you're in charge of your internal states you have a better uh, in my opinion a better opportunity to get it right technically tactically uh, physically and cognitively so um, I, I'm I'm a big fan of body language I think the term body language is perhaps too simplistic embodiment is a better term and just the final thing to say there is is that there are there is evidence uh, from the psychological literature and from the physiological and biological literature that suggests that how we hold ourselves uh, impacts on the biological level in terms of the hormones that we release, um, things like testosterone, adrenaline, dopamine, etc. So I think it's a fascinating landscape that all athletes should should look towards. Yeah. What's uh, you know, maybe other coaches that are listening to the podcast, maybe what's, coaching maybe some student athletes, what's maybe one thing that they could do at practice today to kind of help uh, move body language in a better direction of their athletes? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I suppose I've just spoken to that in terms of a little bit in terms of, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's recognizing that your body is to see it as a weapon. Um, I, and I, th I think quite often when people think of body language um, they think of it in terms of being a victim of their body language oh yeah no I'm, I, sure. I, I didn't keep, keep great body language there I struggled to do that and I think first and foremost um, I, I actually call your body a controller just like if you play a PlayStation or an Xbox and you're playing FIFA or Call of Duty you've got a controller I think your body is a, it's like a controller right uh, it's a weapon it's a weapon to utilize to be able to help you to concentrate and, and, and move and run and take action with confidence and and control one one's inner state so that that, that that's the first thing and I know I'm kind of uh, reinforcing what I was saying before but I think that's the first thing is go out onto the court or the course or the, the pitch or the field and make that a big deal make that a big deal because that's what athletes don't necessarily do is make it a big deal they go out there and they're trying to execute plays and they're trying to physically you know be up with um the, the opposition or with their teammates they're trying to physically get it right they're trying to technically get it right they're working on their technique and they don't make their their body language or their embodiment a weapon or a tool a controller so 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 that's the number one thing i would say before you go out there make that a number one thing and when, when you're out there you know even just writing on the back of back of your hand embodiment and writing a couple of action-based words i think that would be the ultimate thing to do yeah. is is write a couple of action-based words so if i want to go out there and i want to be when i know when i'm at my best i'm sharp and upbeat let's just imagine that somebody says to me dan when i'm at my best i'm sharp and upbeat or if i think about who i want to be out there i want to be sharp and upbeat i would say to you okay well go out and show me that be it and do it and act it embody yeah. it and enact it and no matter what happens to you out there on the on the field or the court or the course continue to be do and act 
um, sharp and upbeat. Continue to be, do, and act those action-based words. Um, in that way, you are managing yourself, you're taking charge of yourself, you're taking control of yourself, you're dominating your own mindset and your internal states to enable you to optimize your, your physical, your human functioning, your cognitive functioning out there. So that would be the thing. Put it first, couple of action-based words, and continue to be, do, and act those action-based words no matter what. Okay, so I can go out there and I'm raised to write stuff on, you know, my wrist tape. <laughs> you know, yes, yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and so, yeah, great thing you can have your uh, athletes do to start to embody those things, how they want to live out. So, yeah. Uh, another one of your blogs, uh, and you spend a lot of time. Um, I played American football. You work with football, okay. as we call it, soccer. Yeah. Right, you know, um, but uh, one of the other blogs that you talked about, one of the best in the world, Ronaldo. Uh, you talk yep. about a specific moment. Um, I, it, it was good reading. Uh, can you talk about maybe the two key things uh, that in that article that uh, yeah. Ronaldo utilizes in his, his mental performance? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I suppose when I reflect back at, at that short post, um, it's uh, me um, playing a little bit with this in terms of, I mean, I think that... Um, I think I talk about a, a 97th minute free kick. So those who know uh, soccer well know that sort of seven minutes in, into stoppage time. So uh, and, and he scored a free kick and um, everybody around him was pretty frantic and he was pretty calm and relaxed. And I take a few liberties here and sort of I've, ne I've never sat down with Ronaldo and said, what exactly do you do? What did you do yeah, there? Sure. But, um, you know, it's always a fun way to take a, a world class player there at their, their experience something that's happened and say look these are the kind of things that he or she might be doing and so funnily enough I do talk about body language in that moment but I also talk about self-talk uh, and uh, the importance of utilizing self-talk to well to uh, utilize it instructionally or motivationally so what is self-talk um, as the name suggests it is literally talking to yourself it is talking to yourself in that moment to be able to do something whether that is to concentrate or to raise your confidence or your commitment as in your motivation or your sense of control you know there's a lot of C's here when we think of mental skills control yep. commitment concentration uh, and so on and so forth so self-talk can do that. Now, I think the one thing to say to your audience is there's an interesting uh, relationship here in terms of uh, self-talk and thinking. Whenever I work with athletes, I want to help them understand the difference between self-talk and thinking because I think it's a useful, uh, uh, two, two things that are useful to distinguish between. So um, in that pressurized moment, what often happens is we have a whole bunch of thoughts Okay, so Ronaldo's got this free kick. It's the 97th minute. Everybody is sort of uh, a little bit anxious, a little bit panicked uh, around him. He's calming himself down. He's doing that by talking to himself. Now, he will still have some thoughts. Now, the difference is, is that thoughts happen to you. You do your self-talk. Let me say that again so yeah. people can actually get that. Your thoughts happen to you. They pop into your head. They emerge. Whereas you do your self-talk, okay? Your thoughts happen to you, you do your self-talk. So I have a name for those kind of thoughts. I call them uh, ants. 
ANT, A-N-T-S being an acronym for Automatic Negative Thoughts. The A for Automatic, the N for Negative, the T for Thoughts. And when we have ANTS, the thoughts, the negative thoughts that pop into our head, I'm not going to score here, I'm never going to complete this pass, I'm really playing awful, I'm going to be substituted, I'm going to be taken off, it's not my day today, this opposition are too tough, too strong. Whenever we have these ANTS, these Automatic Negative Thoughts, our job is to squash these ANTS. How? Well, we can use our body, our, our embodiment, our body language, but we can also use our self-talk. We can talk back to those ants. We can talk back to ourselves instructionally, or we can talk back to ourselves motivationally. From as basic as, no, keep, keep going, keep moving, keep on my play here. Or instructionally, you know, for Ronaldo in that moment, in that free kick, it could have been pick a small target, focus on the ball, get a good strike here just loft it slightly over the wall with a little bit of power, whatever it is, you know, he's the expert, not me, but talking to yourself through that moment to be able to turn down the volume of ants, to squash the ants in order to give yourself the best opportunity to high perform. So I think self-talk goes very much hand in hand with your body uh, language or your embodiment. Those work together. Whether Ronaldo uses those, hey, I've had a bit of fun with the article, but I dare say he does. And I'm sure I've read plenty of times of how he talks about breathing and having good body language and, and, and talking to himself. So I'm sure that's a, a part of his process. I wish, watching the Olympics right now, I wish you, before athletes begin their performance, you can see and observe the breathing. Mm. And you see mm. different techniques happening with different athletes. I, I wish there was a way to see, see a thought uh, you mm. know, of what goes through. Um, but as you observe the Olympics, you can see those breathing things happening. Um, I wish we could dive into to the thoughts. You know. <laughs> well, well here's, here's a question for you, Tyler. You said you played football as in American football, American football for me. But, um, you know, did you, I dare say you had ants out there when you were playing. You had thoughts that were unhelpful. Yeah, I mean, I was not, you know, the largest guy. I mean, I was okay. facing people that were bigger than me, stronger, <laughs> yeah. sometimes, you know, faster. And so, yeah, there was, there was ants all the time. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think that was, you know, I think preparing for competition and I did some, you know, visualization and things like that. I, I just a little bit by nature, no one was really kind of self-taught. Um, yep. But I w wish I had more mechanisms to kind of like, cause once in a while it's sometimes it's easy to squash those ants. And sometimes that ant was hanging out in my helmet all day, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it, and, and so, uh, what's maybe, uh, I, I love, I, I've seen that, you know, too, is just people just teach little kids like physically squash that ant, right? Like just, just yep. stomp your foot, you know, stomp yep. your foot. Like you said, you know, utilize your body language for that. It, I loved how you said, talked about how our thoughts happen in our self-talk, you know, it, we do that we, on purpose. We do that, yeah. And, and it really, it, it, that acknowledgement and then that behavior really brings about an intentional shift. Yeah, yeah, no, ab absolutely. And I think the term intentional is, is, is quite important here. And I, I think it's a real challenge, you know, within the performance process, because we want so many of our certainly we want uh, so many of our behaviors to be engaged from an automatic perspective. Um, but we also want to have some space and there absolutely is some space in our brain to be able to engage intentionally with certain things and there has to come a point where um, 
you know, I, I say to, 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 to people what the psychological evidence suggests is that we're all going to have ants. That's the way we're designed as human beings. Uh, we are, we tend to be problem focused. We tend to scan for threats internally and externally. Um, and that's the way our brain works we you know we get data back from our body um that can give us clues uh, that uh that relate to threats and our uh, visual system is very much oriented towards threats in our environment so we're very much um designed that way as human beings and so it, you know it's important to accept that you're going to have ants that's important and I wouldn't necessarily suggest that it's useful when you're out there um, on the field um, or on the court or on the court course to actually wrestle with those ants to uh, have a, a deep conversation with yourself because you're expending energy on something that is going to happen to you and quite often you're going to lose because the ants just keep coming um, uh, and it, it's that classic that, that there's this theory in psychology called ironic processing which is that classic don't think don't don't think of a pink elephant what do you do you think of a pink elephant yeah. so to wrestle with your thoughts to wrestle with your ants is possibly not useful however to walk out there onto the pitch the the field the court the course with some triggers and some cues that you know are going to help you um, to turn down the volume of ants, like, for instance, our action-based words yeah. from earlier, like, for instance, some instructional cues related to the responsibilities in your role or the effective execution of performance actions. Those are the things. If we got in a time machine and I had been working with you, you as an athlete, you as a, 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 a football player, yeah. we would have sat down, we would have over time brainstormed the kind of trick and cues that you could have utilized when you experienced ants and in every single training session practice session every single game it would be a, a, a case of you striving to get better and better and better and intentionally um, ex of course accepting that you're going to have ants but intentionally turning down the volume of those ants by using your self-talk using your embodiment to be to say be do and act those instructional and motivational self-talk cues and triggers um, that's what we would have been doing to help you be faster quicker stronger better with your performance actions better with the responsibilities in your role so intention is a really important point here what we know last thing to say here is that there is room in your brain for this there's there's a real misnomer a real myth around the just do it the classic nike <laughs> slogan which is Look, absolutely. We, we clearly don't want to be strive to be controlling every action. We we that's why we practice. We practice to automate a lot of our actions. But there is room for strategizing out there. There is room for brainstorming. There is room for some technical cues that you need. There is room for some mental strategies in order to squash ants. You know, what we know is the brain, a part of the brain called the working memory, can hold four bits of information at any given time. Uh, and so there is room out there to be able to intentionally manage oneself. That's important to say. you just got to strive to get better and better and better that, at that in every practice and every game. And with you know, neuroplasticity, we, we know it's possible, right?
Yeah. You know? um, two more questions. One, we talked about, uh, you know, if we got in a time machine, and uh, you know, I probably would have been a better football player, player <laughs> leader, um, you know, if I would have had you, you know, 20 years ago. Um, but if, if you, Dan, you know, got in a time machine and went and visited 16-year-old Dan <laughs> out on the golf course, what, what's one thing from all your education and experiences that you might share with 16-year-old Dan? About, that you yeah, the sure. Journey? Stop throwing the clubs in the trees. Uh, <laughs> that was my problem. Was, yeah, no, I, I, I once got three clubs stuck up a tree. Uh, <laughs> any, at one time, I, uh, and it, it's quite a funny story. I threw a club up there um, because I hit a bad drive. So that was wrong and a little bit naughty of me. But then to try to get that down, I threw another club up and that got stuck in there because I was trying to throw the club up to dislodge it. And then I did that again. Uh, and then finally, I got all three down in the end, thankfully. Otherwise, my parents would have uh, not being impressed um i i had a temperament on me at that time as you as as you can hear um so um i certainly would have given myself a, a talking to that I, I i just think two things really it was at a time where i really started to think about this is what i'd like to do in my future this i want this to be a part of my future i think no actually i, I think three things and so i, I do think when going out and playing competitive games to put mindset first uh, and to accept that there's going to be days where I'm on my C game, where I'm not striking it well, but every single time strive to fall more and more in love with my C game, to dog it round if you like, to not be able to find a sweet spot, but still strive to get it round as low as possible rather than emotionally reacting to the poor, poor striking days. Yeah. And that's very much how I work with tour players now is helping them have a better relationship with their C game. So that would be the first thing. Then the second thing is at 16, I was starting to practice more because I was taking it more seriously. And the practice was very one-dimensional, just the sort of the beat balls mentality. Um, and what we know now is there's so many more intelligent ways to practice so more of an intelligent form uh, of 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 practicing um, to uh, I think to, to to one thing I want to say to reverse up slightly to have those key words if I could go back I've always said if I could get in the time machine and go back I would walk onto that first tee dominant aggressive Kepka dominant aggressive Kepka not that Brooks Kepka was around at that time but he would be the kind of role model the kind of example I would walk onto the first tee and I would be thinking that person's got a great swing he's awesome he hits it miles he hits it better than me I mean man how am I supposed to compete when I'm thinking those having those kind of ants and I'm not dealing with them I want to walk onto that first tee dominant aggressive Kepka and nothing and no one's taking me away from dominant aggressive Kepka I'm going to be like that all the way around so that kind of adjoins to my first point that I slightly left out my third point would be relax patience 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 I looked into as a young Englishman, I looked into getting to a, a, a sports scholarship to the States. And I suppose never have regrets in life. But if one was to stretch me and say, what do you regret? I should have done that. I should have got a scholarship because I think to, it, I, I think to be patient and to go through your education and, and get your golf better at time. But I was very much, got to do it now, got to do it now. 18 years old, right, come on, go and play. Yeah. And what we know, especially in a, a, a late specialization sport like golf, is stop, relax, calm, 
and I, I think that's important. And I think the American players in golf do that very well. They get they get their degree. They really rarely turn pro before 22 unless they are stunningly good. And I think that that's that that kind of in golf at least is an important stepping stone. And I think that's kind of the culture in America, especially in in football, in baseball. Is is it's more of a a, a progression through. Um, college and then into sport in Europe we're a little bit more you know there, there's not that kind of landscape here so th those are the things I would be saying to myself love it great stuff uh, one last question we always like to ask our guests uh, especially working across a lot of domains and mm. your experiences is uh, a question about success how do you define success Oh wow! I I, I think my 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 I think my first answer to that would be my ethical answer, which is to uh, I, I, I'm going to answer this in two ways. I'm going to answer it as a sports psychologist, and I'm going to answer it as Dan. I think the as a sports psychologist, I have to give people the dignity, as in clients, the dignity to define success. I think I'm very much, if you read my articles by and large, especially over the last few years, I'm very drawn into complexity and nuance and drawn away from the, um, away from certainty. And I think there are two camps uh, at the moment. I, I think there's the, well, success is that kind of, you know, got to win, got to win, got to win. You can control your attitude, effort and energy and, and got to win, got to win, got to perform, got to perform. And, it, and it's an acquisition of certain things like medals and stuff like that. And then on the far right hand side at the moment, certainly in Europe, certainly in the UK, there's a bit of a pushing back of that, which I think is a good thing, which is it's much more about, you know, athletic experience and having multiple identities and and just finding ways especially at the adult elite level to help say olympians win uh, gold medals but also have a balance to life and, and there's much more of a nuance and the same in in all sports over here in soccer just how can we balance things for mental health and well-being and welfare etc and I, and i think i'm i'm answering it this way because i think there has to be as a sports psychologist, I'm in between both camps. I have to go in and talk to somebody and I have to respect, I have to give them the dignity to say, Dan, at the moment, I want to win. And this is everything to me. And I can't just sit there and go, no, you're wrong. You need to see it like this because this is unhealthy and unsafe. Unsafe. Um, yeah, um, um, so I, 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 and, and, Equally, if somebody says to me, well, I want to win an Olympic gold medal, but, you know, balance to me is important and multiple identities to me is important. Again, I have to give that person the dignity of, OK, this is what you believe. This is what you think. So in that respect, I think success is in the eye of the beholder. And as a sports psychologist, I have to give that person the dignity. Now, over time in the relationship, I might probe, I might, I might prod in terms of helping them understand what their underpinning philosophy means to them and how, how it interacts with their behaviours and whether it's helping them achieve their goals. So that's the first stunningly long answer uh, probably the longest answer you've ever had to that yeah. the second thing i'd say is from a dan abraham's perspective yeah. i suppose which is what is success um which i find far more difficult to answer um what is success i think it is um really 
uh, I think it's a mixed bag of things. I don't think it's one thing. I, I think it's it's from intrinsic motivation to extrinsic motivation or intrinsic rewards to extrinsic rewards. I think it's a little bit of everything. I don't think it's one thing. I, I, I love writing and writing an article, writing a book and getting it out there and people enjoying it and telling me so. I'm just a human being. I love that. Yeah. Of course, I love that praise. Mm. Equally, it's striving to enjoy the process and, and, and that can be construed as success as well. So I think success for me um, is uh, a stretch along uh, a continuum of intrinsic rewards to extrinsic rewards and enjoying that continuum and what that brings to you. That's how I would describe it. Thank you for listening. If something caught your ear as useful or unique this episode, we would love your help spreading the Elevate message. You can find me on Instagram at Elevate Educate Rejuvenate. That's with the numeral instead of the A-T-E. Thank you again, and if I can help you with anything, please reach out. And don't forget, go elevate others.